0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley.
1: Our scripture reading today is Luke chapter 1, 13 through 20. I'm reading from King James. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be returned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of lies, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zachariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered, said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. And I sent to speak unto thee, to show thee thy glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not be able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believeth not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You may be seated.
0: And now would you open God's book, please, to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in just a couple of minutes in verse 14. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. And I want to tell you how happy I am to see all of you here. The word enigma means something that is mysterious, doesn't make sense on its face. And the great enigma is the greatness of John, who is called the Baptist, and the fact that he was brutally executed. Doesn't make any sense. I'm going to talk about that today. We're going to do it from Mark chapter 6. Mark was, or John was a great, great man. The Bible declares that in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, among those that are born of woman, there hasn't risen a greater than John the Baptist. How do you like that? And then he goes on to say, now, notwithstanding, he which is least in the kingdom is greater than he. That just means that the church hadn't been established and John died before it was established. And so the Lord emphasizes that there. But the point is, John was a great, great man. When you look at Matthew chapter 3, you see some impressive things about him. He was was a man who practiced self-denial. He wore camel's hair and girded himself with a leather belt and he ate locusts and wild honey. He was a man of of courage and he went throughout Judea preaching and when he saw the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Bible says he said, you brood of vipers. I don't think that's a very complimentary statement do you. You brood of vipers. You pack of snakes. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come? He was a humble man before Jesus. His shoes, I'm not worthy to, to latch it. I'm not worthy to latch his shoes. Now, The Old Testament prophesies about John the Baptist. He's called John the Baptist because he baptized people. He was John who baptized people, John the Baptist. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, you have this declaration that this person, now we wouldn't know who it was just from this, but the prophecy is that he would prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. But Matthew in Matthew chapter 3 then, verse 3 and 4, clears that up. He was talking about John the Baptist. He had a role to play. Now, John never performed miracles. He wasn't like Jesus in that. Never did. I suppose that was to create the distinction, maybe, between John and Jesus. John wasn't meant to be Jesus. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. And what you have here in this, this remarkable passage about his death is a discussion of something that we've got to draw lessons from. There's a wonderful moral lesson tucked away in here that I want to raise to the surface. Before I do, let me introduce you to a couple of other people. So Herod's going to be part of this. Herod takes a role in the death of John. Herod is Herod Antipas. He's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great had, it is said, ten wives. It wasn't very safe to be the, the son of Herod the Great. He was terribly powerful, but he always felt threatened about his throne, and when one of his sons seemed to endanger that throne Why Herod would have him killed. Herod Antipas is his one of his sons, and uh, people called him the king. He was really a patriarch of of Galilee. Now, Herodias is, when we get to Mark chapter 6, is the wife of Herod, Herod and Herodias. Herodias was kin to him. Now, the way that went was that Herod, I mean, Herodias was the daughter of another one of Herod the Great's sons, but Herod killed him. So her grandfather killed her father. But not just that, then she married another one of Herod's sons named Philip, who is the half-brother of Herod in our text today. And so what happens is that, that Philip, her husband is off in Rome one day and Herod came to visit Herodias and they fell deep into lust and decided that what they would do is divorce their spouses, both of them were married, they would just put them away and they would marry one another. That's what they did. Now that opens the the scene for what we're going to talk about today. John the Baptist was a very plain-spoken man. I don't think he was a mean man, but he was plain-spoken. And what he said to Herod about that marriage would ultimately result in his death. So let's go to Mark chapter 6 now in verse 14 and walk down through it. And King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. Now the him is capitalized in my Bible. It's talking about Jesus. Herod heard about Jesus. And he said, this is kind of strange now, you ready? John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. Others said, it's the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. Now, that's very interesting. This is about guilt, about the ghosts of guilt that follow a man around. That I, th- I think what was happening with him is that he would get rid of it for a while. Maybe he wouldn't think about it. Maybe maybe Herod wouldn't think about it for a while, but something would happen something would be said, or maybe just out of the blue, it would come rushing back over him, the memory of what he had done to John the Baptist. He was a hunted man, not by the outside, but on his inside. He couldn't live outside of himself, and he couldn't live with himself. And when he heard about Jesus and the miracles, now John the Baptist didn't conduct, didn't perform miracles. He didn't. But now... Herod hears about Jesus and the miracles that he does, and he just knows, it must be John, come back to torment me. This is John the Baptist. And incidentally, in in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said to to his disciples, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? They said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And uh, uh, Jesus said, who do you say? Peter said, you're the Christ. Well, I suppose that who was referenced here had to be Herod Antipas, who, who said, "You're John. He's John the Baptist. He's got to be John the Baptist. He's a haunted man." Now, here, I'm telling you something. You, 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 you take a man who commits some egregious sin, some awful sin in his life, and it's, it's terribly hard to get rid of it. The only way that you can deal with it is through Jesus Christ. You can try to push it out of your mind, but the truth is you've got to connect back with your God. What you have to do is to find the path through Jesus Christ by which you can have forgiveness, and then you can live with yourself again. It's not still going to be easy, but you can. That's the only way to put it away from you. Well, all right, here we go. Verse 17, the hated truth. For Herod himself, here's the backstory, story, had sent and laid hold of John. He put him in prison, bound, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Now they have a palace. Um, Josephus, the historian, says it's called Machaerus, and it's on the east side of the Dead Sea, which is kind of ironic, really, on a precipice there, and it must have been a very impressive place. And he's got some sort of a prison, perhaps a dungeon in the basement of the house, In that palace. But what happens is that Herod Antipas has the power to do it. He's the patriarch. He has John arrested and he puts him into that prison. But now the plot thickens. For John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. All right, let's stop there for a second. You're about to learn something very interesting about this imprisonment. It wasn't that Herod wanted to treat John like a criminal, you're going to be surprised to find that John rather likes... uh, Herod rather likes John, likes to talk to him. Oh, no, it's not about that. He puts him in prison to protect him. He puts him in prison because Herodias' wife wants to kill John the Baptist. Puts him in prison. Because John had said, it was because of what he said. No First Amendment rights here. It's because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. He had married his brother Philip's wife. Mm. I tell you what, people today are the same as they were then about this subject. You you, you preach about what Jesus taught us about marriage and divorce and remarriage, what's taught in the Bible, and I can tell you people are going to sometimes just walk away from their faith. They they, they still won't bear it. Maybe for a while they'll, they'll bear it. And if they get involved in it, then maybe for a while they will bear it. But it becomes so excruciatingly difficult to do this. And yet God wasn't trying to keep joy and marriage from us. He was trying to keep marriage for us. And he protects it with the laws. Now, it's not lawful for you to have her. What law? The law of Scripture, the law of the Bible on marriage and divorce and remarriage. Now, follow me because there's a line, there's a thread that goes all through the Bible on this subject. Genesis 2 and 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Then you go over to Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. A woman that has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if her husband is dead, loose from the law of her husband. She's loosed from that law. And then you go over to um, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. The Bible says... Whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication. So there's the exception, all right? One man for one woman for life with one exception. Except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, which is put away, commits adultery. In Exodus chapter 20, because this is just still the law of God on marriage that goes through Scripture. Thou shalt not commit adultery. One of the Ten Commandments. All right, so... It's not lawful. John said it's not lawful. Now, parenthetically, I want you to think about this. Sometimes people will assume and and maybe assert that, that preachers shouldn't be listened to so much or maybe we reject what they say from the Bible because they are caustic. Because it's, it's the way they say things is just not very nice. They say them caustically or in a way that's mean. There's nothing here at all about John the Baptist being mean in the way he says this. He merely said it. He, he, he just said it. And Herod now doesn't, Herod still likes him. We're going to talk some more about that. Herod likes him, has some respect for him. It isn't that he said it caustically. It's, that it's just that he said it. You think about LGBTQ, movement, the movement, the homosexual transgender movement. You can't say it nicely enough for it to be accepted. You know, somebody says, say it nice to me and I'll, that's not, that's not going to happen. That's not right. The woke movement isn't happening today because people don't talk nice. The woke movement is happening today because people, in reference to homosexuality and transgenderism. It's just because of the fact, and that's what's happening here. So, so John the Baptist had just said it to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. And the law he's talking about is the law of God. Now, I'm going I'm to do one more detail before I leave this, and that is that it wasn't merely getting married, it was being married. And I, raise, I know that sounds kind of silly, but why would you raise? I raise that because there's a plethora, a myriad of of arguments that men have, have created to push back against what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9 because they just can't bear it. It's too strict. Whoever puts away his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. Well, that's very strict. That's very strong. Whoever marries her which is put away does commit adultery. Very strong. So one of the arguments against that is that, and it can't, in other words, to say that Jesus can't mean what he says about it. He can't mean that is that the sin is covenant-breaking and that the sin actually is not being married to that person but getting married to that person. Now, I know that, so? Okay, so what? Well, so what is this? The argument goes that, that I could repent of the wedding and then continue living with her or with him, Right? The sin wasn't in dwelling together. It wasn't in being married. The sin's only in getting married, so you could repent of that, and then you stay. You still keep the relationship. Okay? That's rather rather creative. It's just wrong. It's, It's just wrong. And what happened here is, I mean, if John the Baptist had known that argument, if that had been valid, John the Baptist wouldn't have lost his head because he could have just said, repent of getting married. But see, that's not what he said. Ready? He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. He had married his brother Philip's wife, and it's not lawful for you to have her. The word have there means what you think. It means what we say in wedding ceremonies when we say to have and to hold. It's what it means. It means, it means to, to, to be married, to be in a marital relationship with this person. Is not lawful. All right. Now, verse 19. Let's go behind the closed doors. Here's what's going on in this, this marriage, this dysfunctional marriage. Therefore, Herodias held it against him, against John, and wanted to kill him, but she could not. I'm telling you, this is strong. What did John do to deserve this? And the answer is, he, he didn't approve of her immorality. That's what it was. In other words, the demand here is, not only do you have to allow me to do this, you've got to approve it. And you certainly can't say anything against it. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar? The answer is that that's where we live today. We will shut your business down. Hmm? We will destroy you. If we could take you out, we would take you out. Is that so unusual? I'm telling you that, that Herodias is the grandmother of a whole lot of people today in this movement. She wanted to kill him, but she could not. Now there's the problem. You can't just kill him for Herod feared God. He's the king. He's the patriarch. He's her husband after all. And look at, look what, that's what verse 20 says. Herod feared God knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. I've underlined that in my Bible because from whom is he protecting John the Baptist? Herodias. He's protecting John from his wife because his wife wants him dead. And when he Herod heard him John, when Herod heard John, he did many things and heard him gladly. What a pain! What a pain in the neck for Herodias, huh? Come on, she wants him dead, and her husband respects him. Her hears him gladly. You can just see you can see old Herodias going through the house in the evening, saying to the servants, where, where is Herod? Where is Herod? I can't find him, ma'am. He's he's downstairs." Oh, no. Because he, he'd ease on down there and he'd sit across the, the jail cell there, the prison door. He'd sit and he would talk to John the Baptist. Now, you tell me some more. What about this? This What did he say? The axe is laid at the root of the trees. What does that mean again? You talk to me about that. And you say that he performs miracles and that he's the son of God. What does that mean? How can a man be the son of God? And how is it that he could be the, the lion of Judah and at the same time be the lamb of God? How does that work? Tell me some more about that. And and the Bible says he protects him. And he did many things. You can just imagine him making sure that John the Baptist is well cared for while he is imprisoned there on that eastern shore of the Dead Sea. Now, verse 21, the party. Now, I really, really want you to get this part of the lesson. So please pay attention to these verses closely. Here's the party. And this verse starts with, and an opportune day came. Opportune for what? See, old Herod thought he had John protected. But he knew. I mean, he already knew that, that it was, it was real dangerous for him to, to let John be free and get around Herodias. She'd kill him. So he wanted to protect John. So he already knew. He knew what was going on here. So he's not going to mess up. Oh, yeah, he's going to mess up. He doesn't mean to, but he's going to do that. He's going to do something he knows is wrong unintentionally because of this opportune time. The opportune time is this birthday. The only time you have birthday mentioned in the New Testament is here. The only time a birthday is mentioned. You got one in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. An opportune Day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself, I've underlined herself in my Bible, because I think that's very interesting. In other words, it's not just a servant of the princess. It is the princess herself. And so she begins to come before these. If you read it, it looks to me like an assembly of only men. You read who's there, the officers or the chief men. And when in a minute she's going to go ask her mother something, she can't just turn to the table to her mother sitting there. She has to go out because her mom's not in there. I think it's an assembly of men. And before this assembly of men, Herodias dances. There's something about her movements and perhaps her dress that is uh, appropriate for the occasion. Now, Sometimes, in a party such as this, there's behavior that would be inappropriate in the light of day. Even shameful. We wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be done. But in an atmosphere like this, where you have created, are you ready for this? An opportune day, an opportune time. Then somehow, these things that are just wrong to do become right. Because we're celebrating. In this case, we're celebrating Herod's birthday. And when Herodias 22, Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, Uh, her name historically is Salome. Salome came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, "I I just want you to appreciate the atmosphere. Can you... If you just use your imagination, you can, you can see and hear what's going on in this party. So she's dancing, and Herod says, whatever you want, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Can't you hear them? I, th- I think there's probably language that you don't use. It was been being uh, shouted, go all the way, Herod, go on, give her what she wants, whatever she wants, give it to her, Harry, come on, let's do it, come on. I don't think he was really going to give her half the kingdom. I don't think that, I don't think that the powers that be would allow her, allow him to do that. But this is, this is exaggeration. It's the, it's the moment and he's taken up in the moment. And now he's made a vow that he, he didn't think out, but it's the nature. And I suppose, I don't know that, I would assume there's alcohol here. Why not? And it just made it worse. Now verse 24. Unfiltered imitation. There's just a rule. It's not all, it's not a hard fast rule. It's just it's kind of a principle, though, that when parents live in a way that's away from God, when they have some sin in their lives are wrapped up in that that their children growing up are sometimes apt to take that farther than they would have ever taken it. At least that's what happened here. Verse 24. And she went out. This is this is um, Salome, the daughter of Herodias. She went out and said to her mother, she finds her, finds her mother, what should I ask? Anything up to half his kingdom. And she said, the head of John the Baptist, Harry didn't mean for that to happen. He didn't expect that to happen. He didn't want it to happen. He, he cared about John but it was the atmosphere, it was the opportune time. And people at parties like this sometimes do things they wouldn't have otherwise done. And she said to the daughter, the head of John the Baptist. Now watch 25. And immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist. Now in my Bible here I've underlined At once, mom didn't say that. Mom didn't, didn't say that. And underline on a platter. Don't you think that's interesting? Mom didn't say that. Mom didn't say that. Daughter enlarged on what mom said because she wants to, she is, I suppose she's 19 years old and she wants to make a statement and so she, she says, I want it now and I want it on a platter. Wow. She is uh, she's Satan's masterpiece. Now, can you just pause with me for a moment and, and appreciate that, that there are parties like this one today. And I suppose when preachers talk about, you know, we ought not to go to parties like that, that it's easy to roll your eyes and say, well, that's just too conservative. That's but I'm telling you that, that what... It's going on in this party, and then you have this light switch that turns on, and it's turning on right now for the king in this ne- these next couple of verses. He is in his groove, and he's having a great time, and all of his friends are there, and he he has this beautiful stepdaughter, and she dances for them, and it just wows him, and he makes this rash promise. He wasn't thinking about John. He wasn't thinking about John at all. He wouldn't have done it, but in the moment, in the moment, it seemed so appropriate. During the 1960s, there was the sexual revolution. That's what it was called, and people, people just thought it was terrific. And in retrospect, in history, you know, why isn't that wonderful? Because it gave us sexual freedom. That was the opposite of truth. Sexual freedom is never going to be what they were describing. It's not the liberation in the way they painted it. it Sexual freedom will always be the same. It's it's a man and a woman in a God-approved marriage. God saved his very best for these people. That's sexual freedom. Outside of that, sexuality is imprisonment. You think about all the things that people don't mean to happen in their lives. Awful, terrible, miserable things that happen because they don't obey God's laws about sexuality. Go ahead, look at the, the suicide statistics about this wonderful woke movement and pe- people that are so engaged in the woke movement and LGBT and all of that. You, you just look in this and you say, well, something's not right. No, something's not right. No, it's not right. And what it is is imprisonment and the people who are most pitiable in prison are people who declare themselves to be free when they're really imprisoned. I mean, there are parties today and parties to celebrate. And there are times when there are oper- we create opportune times. Now, let me tell you something. Anytime in your life you make provision for sin, you're going to sin. It's just a rule. It's, it's what, what God said to Cain back early on when he said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If not, sin lies at the door. What does it mean? It's like a lion crouching out there. You don't have to open the door. But if you open the door, he's coming in, right? Sin lies at the door. And so the Bible says that, that Judas looked for an opportune time to betray the Lord, guess what? He found it. That's what's going to happen to you and to me. We make provision for sin, we're going to sin. That's what's going to happen. We've got to fight it all the time and not yield to it. And so sometimes there are parties like this. And by this, like this, I mean parties which are intended to let down our guard, to, to reduce our scruples because it's just a time for celebration. Celebration's not bad, but this kind of party is bad. The one where we loosen our scruples, our moorings, what is right and wrong. We just, you know, so sometimes it's to celebrate a job, a new job, or maybe it's to celebrate a wedding, or very often among among teenagers, it's the prom and other kinds of dances like that. The prom is is the big one, of course, graduation and all that, and I want you just to pause a second and, and appreciate how similar the atmosphere, and the mentality of the prom is to what's going on with Herod and Herodias and Salome and John. Now, different today, of course, I would think it's very rare that it would be about murder. That's not the point, though. The point is that you have this atmosphere where it's just assumed that this is a let it go kind of time. That's what it's about. And so we spent a lot of money. And you have this atmosphere where there's almost always alcohol involved. And you have this, the dancing. And so here, here's, here's a young man and he's 18 years old and he's already struggling to keep his life straight sexually. And so his girlfriend, who's, who's crazy about, he's, he already, already is crazy about her. And so she comes to this party with him. And if you want to know what they wear, well, you don't have any trouble figuring out. You, you go on, on Facebook marketplace. You know what that is? It's kind of like an ad, as sell sell things on ads, and and you and and you can right after the prom, you can go on there and you can see all sorts of dresses from the proms in our area that are for sale. It'll take your breath away. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? And so you dress her like that, and and it looks. uh, So many of those dresses are. I mean, those girls look cheap, and and then so she's going to, she's going to dance in front of him. It's reminiscent of what we're reading about in, in Mark chapter 6. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Only the murder's not involved, of course. And the lyrics of the songs, if that wasn't bad enough, you listen to the music. Go ahead and look up the lyrics of the kinds of music that's being played at these proms while kids are doing this. And, and then what I want you to do is be to, to reminisce, to think about the passages of Scripture that would regulate this sort of thing. I want to go to Galatians 5 for a minute. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness. We don't use the word licentiousness very much. But when you you look it up in Thayer's lexicon, Greek dictionary of Greek words, uh, Thayer says that it means things such as the, the indecent bodily movements or the unchaste handling of males and females licentiousness, or lasciviousness, or lewdness. It's a pretty apt description of what we're talking about at the prom, I think. Pretty apt description. And then you get down to verse 21, and he continues this list of things that will keep you out of heaven. And he said, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelry. What's revelry? We don't, we don't use that. Strong's Dictionary of Greek Words, when looking at this word, says it's a carousal that involves letting loose. It's it's like it's like Herod and his birthday and his stepdaughter we don't know how old she is, but she's old enough to drive him crazy, and he makes this rash promise in front of all of these men before whom she's been dancing. They're all crazy about her and and she asks for John's head. Now I want to make this point is that in this kind of party, what happened was not atypical it's not unusual because what he does is something he would regret later he wished later that he had not done he didn't mean for it to go that way but you swim in a cesspool and i tell you what happens is you get some disease and that's what's happened to him and and then the lights come on there's always there's always the light of day and when the light of day comes on and you reflect on what you've done then there's the pain And so, go back to our text. 25 says, she said, Salome said, I want at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Here's the sorrow of the world. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. it's just a just a statement it's a statement it's not lawful for you to have her just a statement yeah but there's a there's a kind of sin connected with sexuality that isn't going to bear that that will not bear that and would not and somehow the only way that Herodias could be happy as if her marriage license was printed on the back of the death certificate of John the Baptist. He's got to die. And Herod got wrapped up in this party, and that's what he did. And so, verse 28, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that is a nightmare. That, what that is is a nightmare in the flesh. It's hard even to picture it in your imagination, but it happened. It's real. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Now, you skip a couple of years. I don't know how long exactly. A year, maybe two years. And, and Jesus is tried by Pilate. Pilate remembers that, that this is Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod is around at that time. And he sends Jesus to Herod. That's this same Herod. Only a little time has passed, and his heart... That once was interested in what John the Baptist had to say. It's so hard. And he wants Jesus to perform some miracle. And he toys with him. Maybe he has in his mind that this could be good. I mean, after all, Jesus could come to work for me. And imagine how popular I would be if I could have this magic show with a man who could... Let me, let me see what you can do. Let's see what she's doing. Miracle for me. And Jesus wouldn't pay him any, any mind. Jesus had earlier referred to him as Herod, that fox. And so Herod had a costume put on Jesus, a robe, and sent him back to Pilate, and that's that. And there's the lesson for today, for this morning. The lesson is that that there was a day when a good man, a really good man, John, preached on a subject that, that was too controversial, too much. I don't think he said it meanly. I don't think he was caustic. He just, he just told the truth. And as a result, he lost his life. May it be the case that you and I avoid the opportune times. Will you join with me and let's avoid parties like these? We have no business being there. And a parent ought to say to his children... I love you and I know you're graduating and I think it's a wonderful thing and we're going to celebrate, but we are not going to celebrate like Herod celebrated. We won't do it. I, uh, I knew a woman one time, a member of the church and two teenage daughters, real sweet girls. And they, it came time for the prom and so they were going to go and wanted to go, begging to go. And, uh. Mom sat down with them and read this chapter that I've read to you today. That's many years ago. She's dead now. And those girls grew up and they married and they had children. And now they have grandchildren. And she, that mama, being dead yet speaketh. And they've, they've been passing these realities, these truths that mean something on to their children. And I pray that it will continue many years to come. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.